You're listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. Do you remember your first real job? Real job, right? Not the job to put gas in the car or, you know, uh, some fast food, but real job. My first real job was in the 1900s, actually. It was, um, <laughs> it was 1989. It was my first, it was my first real job. Um, I began that in summer of 89. One of the most frequent discussions that I have with people beginning their work life or with those who hit a wall in their work is this very thing. They say, I just want to do work that matters. I just want to do work that matters. Have you ever said that to yourself? Have you ever said that out loud or heard someone else say that? Um, Even if someone has a zero connection to God spiritually or the highest of connections, it still seems to be the same sentiment. Somewhere down deep, all people want to matter and they want their work to matter. Um, now, it, it's, it's not that they want to do less or, or, or have less as much as they just want it to matter. So it's okay if they produce a widget as long as that widget somehow advances, advances people. Um, corporations have fully awakened to this new social consciousness of its workforce. Um, for my father's generation, what mattered most was the company. For my generation, I'm the, I'm the youngest of the baby boomers. For my generation, what mattered the most was, um, well, us. We mattered the most uh, is how it played out. But, um, but with Gen X and subsequent generations, they also want their companies to have a social conscience. And you might agree or disagree wherever that social conscience lies, but the workforce wants the company to have a social conscience because they don't just want to make a living, they want to build a life that counts. And that's what I want to talk about today. The Bible addresses this longing, and so I will in my message today, rock solid mission, building a life that counts. Um, Now, we've established in this series on Rock Solid that our foundation is a foundation built on Christ, built on listening and following the words and ways of Christ. This has been our passage of Scripture, Luke 6, 46 through 49. Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. And he paints a very vivid picture. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundations on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. There's really not a lot of gray area in here. It actually... It actually paints a very great picture on how to build a life that will last, right? It it paints a very good picture that this is the path you follow. I followed that message on Rock Solid with three additional messages on dig first practices, how we dig down to the foundation. I won't give you any more of a recap than that because I got made fun of at the men's breakfast 
on Saturday, um, uh, Chris Stobenauer, who leads our men's ministry, started out the second men's breakfast and said, I want to give you a recap of last week, but not like Pastor Charlie gives recaps. So, so So I got over that and I was able to come this morning. But it's, it's an interesting thing about building spiritual foundations that it's not something you do once and move on, right? It's not something you can do once and move on. It's something that continually has to be reinforced. Why is that? Because the hardness of life, cultural climate shifts, and Satan's lies continually want to strike at our foundation and erode it. So foundations have to continually be maintained because they're constantly under pressure constantly under pressure. But as crucial as foundations are for sustaining structural integrity, they are the beginning of the spiritual life building process. They're not the end, right? It's what we, what we start with, not what we end with. And the rest of our lives, we mature and we grow. We keep reinforcing, we keep reinforcing foundation and we build on top of that. All right. The most asked question of all antiquity is this question. Why am I here? Whether you asked it yesterday, last month, or centuries ago, it was still asked, why am I here? And to me, this question boils down primarily as this, a question of worth and purpose. Why am I here, to me, boils down to the question of worth and purpose. And both worth and purpose are going to be found in Christ. Um, when our personal worth is not found in Christ and it's found somewhere else, it looks a whole lot like this NASDAQ graph behind me over the last five years. So over the last five years, this is the NASDAQ and, and its ups and downs and peaks. And I chose that one because it has more peaks and valleys than the S&P and the Dow. So over the last five years, that's what that looked like. And I would say that maybe some of you, that's how your emotions went as well, <laughs> right? You, you pick a day and market was down. Well, so was my emotions. Or you pick a day and someone chose um, to say something to you that caught you wrong, down. Um, something happened at your company and you got overlooked, down. Someone in your family got sick, down. Got the raise, up, right? And so, and so this, is how, this is how our worth and our purpose will fluctuate if it's anchored in the winds and the whims of our lives and culture, right? But there is a better way. Actions flow from beliefs, and beliefs anchor actions, all right? That's not a slide. You're going to have to write that down if you want it. Actions flow from beliefs, and beliefs anchor actions. Any action you take, if you trace it back, it's going to find itself down to a core belief. If it's a core belief, it will find itself out into an action, all right? So you can't untether you can't untether actions from core beliefs. So I want, to, I want to teach you three anchoring beliefs today that you need to build a life that counts. And I've, and I've stated them in, in the um, first person because we're going to repeat them in a second. Here they are, okay? I matter. I have purpose. I belong. These Three are core beliefs that if you will get these down deep inside of you, it will change how you live. It's foundational. Now let's say them together. Ready? I matter. Uh, we'll, we'll start over. <laughs> Qu- choir leading was never one of, my, one of my gifts. A one and a two. I matter. I have purpose. I belong. Mattering to me is a core of emotional health. 
To matter is to be important, um, to have significance, and mattering to me is connected to being known. Mattering is connected to being known. Much of feeling like you don't matter is connected to, be overlooked, connected to being overlooked and dismissed. All right, mattering. Okay, right? There's no mattering gauge. We can't have an app on our iPhone watch to tell in a situation, well, I matter now. I, I matter, right? And so how do you tell if you're mattering? I'm connected it to being known. So uh, one, it, it, was, it was years ago. Actually, it was three decades ago, I remember. Um, I, was, I was 30. I was young, and I was at a very large church, and we were hosting a denominational meeting. And so all the bigwigs were there. And my responsibility on that day had a particular section of the building that I was just to make sure that everything went right that section of the building and included bathrooms. And that was my, that was my hosting role. Well, it also included what, here, what we in Nashville would call a green room. All right. And so uh, I was making my rounds, opened the door to the green room to check and see if things were working well in there. And there was a guy at the door who promptly told me that I did not belong there and to close the door. So I vacillated in between old Charlie and new Charlie, right? There was, there was the one that was about to set him straight, except I'm 30 and he's, you know, older than me. And, and, um, and the other one that felt like I just wanted to find the nearest carpet and crawl under it, right? Well, it so happened at the nearest table, there was a person who heard what he said to me and he just happened to be the person in charge of everything. And he knew me. So he said, Charlie, hey, we haven't talked in a while. Come here and sit by me. Tell me what's going on. So I'm not quite sure the look I gave the individual as I walked by, but I can tell you that I was walking probably a little straighter as I got to the table and sat and talked to his name was Dr. Paul Walker and talked to him for a few minutes. And then I knew when it was time to leave, <laughs> right? And so I got up and went about my rounds. What, what changed? What changed about how I was going to feel in that moment? Somebody knew me, and he just didn't know of me. He really knew me. He knew a lot about me, and he loved me. And what he didn't like is what he saw happening and didn't like what he saw happening. And so he was going to step in and kind of change that. Being known reverses feelings of insignificance. So being known impacts your belief of mattering. If you're going to build a life that counts, you have to begin here. You have to believe that you matter to God. Mattering has less to do about us and more to do about who we matter to. Okay? This was very, the reason why the circumstance changed within the moment, it wasn't because I changed. It was because who I mattered to. And because I mattered to him, that's what changed things, right? Um, in, his, in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, Tim Keller said this, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be, but to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us, being known and loved by God. It, that phrase means so much to us, we put it on mugs and give it to every guest that would take one. 
And we've done it for years and years. Listen to King David's detailed description of being known and loved by God. It's very poetic. I'm going to read it out of the Amplified Version coming out of Psalm 139. David says, O Lord, you've searched me thoroughly and have known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. My entire life, everything I do, you understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path, my lying down, and you are intimately acquainted with all my ways, even before there's a word on my tongue, still unspoken. Behold, O Lord, you know it all. You've enclosed me behind and before, and you have placed your hand upon me. Such infinite knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high above me. I cannot reach it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If, my, if I make my bed in Sheol, the netherworld, the place of the dead, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will take hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will cover me and the night will be, only, be the only light around me, even the darkness is not dark to you and conceals nothing from you. But the night shines as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. That's just, how do you even wrap your head around that? For you formed my innermost parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will give thanks and praise to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. And my soul knows it very well. There, there is a synergy that starts happening in David, and regardless of how he would have looked at himself prior he, he, is, he is starting to align how he feels about himself in connection to well, how God feels about him. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being formed in the secret and intricately in secret place and intricately and skillfully formed as if embroidered with many colors in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance and in your book were all written the days that were appointed for me when as yet there was not one of them ever taken shape. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Boy, I don't think he just whipped that poem out, right? I mean, there was, there was a lot of reflection that David was giving to being known, and not just on a surface level, just the intricacies of the knowledge of God for him. And you can't help but just, I think... Just hear how much he feels loved by God and that God would, have, would take that kind of time, if you can say it like that, with and for David. Listen, Satan applies his greatest pressure to the points that matter the most. Satan applies his greatest pressure to the points that matter the, matter the most. This is why your identity is so key. This is why you and I fight this identity thing so much because it matters that much. So because it matters that much, this is where Satan is going to put a great deal of pressure on trying to change how we see and feel God knowing and loving us. This, this wound that some people carry is a wound from their past and even from, from, from their families that you don't matter, that, um, wow, some of the things I have heard people tell me that they have heard family say to them, 
is staggering. Listen, those wounds don't have to define you. In fact, God can heal those wounds that you will carry a scar, but the scar tells a story of healing. An open wound will always carry the pain and the emotion that you will continue to see whatever happens negatively to you. You're going to see it and hear it through that, that lens and that filter. Unless you allow God to begin healing that place. And you'll, you will not forget it. But it will now tell a different story of who you are. It will tell a story of healing. Not one carrying a wound. All right, so the enemy likes putting his finger where there is wounds. Another thing that I think works against our identity that's unique, I think it's unique to us in at least the last decade, and I'm going to just sound like a preacher for a moment, okay? Um, Social media, to me, is so staggeringly, staggeringly deadly I don't know anyone that can spend, other than a narcissist, spending hours of scrolling through social media feeds and it not negatively affect their mental health, their spiritual health. I think it's nearly impossible to spend that kind of time looking at what other people put out as what the good life is and not live in some area of comparison game with them. And you never win that game. Listen, even when you compare to someone, you go, well, I'm better than that. You, you've, you've lost that game. And when you compare yourself to something else and just wish something was different, wish you had more, you lose that game. You cannot win that game. If you spend more time with content that erodes your foundation than you do planting a root system of identity in Christ, the results are inevitable. They just are. You, you just can't spend so much time around stuff that erodes your foundation if you don't have the right root structure around you to deter it. The best, best erosion methods are roots. Plant grass, plant trees, plant shrubs, plant something living and breathing. You know, not just a concrete retaining wall. Plant something living and breathing. And those, that root system stops erosion. Now, this is not a self-help message. Me telling you you matter is insignificant if I'm the one telling you you matter, all right? So here's the point. I matter because I'm known and loved by God. You matter because you are known and loved by God. That's the first key. Here's the second core. I have purpose. To have purpose is to have meaning, a popular sentiment is, I want to make a difference, right? You might have said it. You've heard it said. What does that even mean? Sometimes I just roll my eyes at that. I want to make a difference because it just seems to be so nebulous. So here's, here's my best attempt to anchor that. I want, I want for my presence and my actions to be an agent of positive change for people and environments. I don't have that as a slide either. I can only have so many slides, okay? All right. So at least that's what they tell me when I send them to them to make them every week. I, I want my presence and my actions to be an a- agent of positive change for people and environments. This is what it means to make a difference. Do you know people who change, um, change the atmosphere in a room by just entering it? 
that they can change the weight of a problem because they've engaged. That's not just for the select few. That's for each and every follower of Christ that we can enter a room and enter a situation and change the atmosphere and change the weight of it because we walked in that room. We have purpose. Um, Here's Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. It says, for it is by, Paul's teaching, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. So he already throws in, don't be thinking too much of yourself here. This is something that God does in you. Okay? But God does it in us. So not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus, listen, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So this is already tagging back to Psalm 139, right? That all my days were written before that even one ever came to be. Paul's tagging on and saying that we were created in Christ Jesus when we received the grace and mercy of Christ and now we are a new creature in him and he has created us and woven us together for that and he's woven woven us together for good works and not just random good works but good works in which he has already prepared which means there are opportunities even in the next three hours of your day that God could have already prepared an opportunity in which for you to step in with a good work, right? That's purpose. That is having a purpose. Purpose is woven into your very fabric of being. This is not something necessarily you got to go conjure up. It has been woven into your very DNA. Purpose equals good works. I get, I, I mean, as I was writing this week, I just got jacked all over again about this thing, right? Because listen, um, we have a tendency to say, I, I don't know what my purpose is. I'm going to skip a slide and then come back. All right. Don't think what is my purpose in life. Think what are God's purposes for my life? All right. The first feels elusive. The last is liberating and expansive. Right? I'm going to leave it there because this one takes a little while to get, get through some soil. <laughs> when, I, when I'm stuck, what is my purpose? It generally always seems to be out there somewhere and not where I am. But when I think about what are God's purposes for my life, I can, we, I can, I can weave that thing right back into the next good work I can do that advances a situation, circumstance, or a person. Listen, God will show you purpose. God uniquely gifts us and places us, but I think you can get wrapped around the axle if you keep just thinking there is this one thing out there and somehow you're not doing it. And even if you can't feel like that you've landed right at what that is, it's, it's on the end of that next good work and the next good work. What, what are you putting in front of me to do, God? I, I don't know what you want for me 10 years from now. I want to know. I want to track that way. But what I do know is what is sitting in front of me 
right now. And the enemy wants you to think that's insignificant and, and, and it's not going to matter and wants you to feel ashamed or, or um, I don't know, completely inadequate, right? And I would just say that's a really good indication that he is trying to put his finger in some wound to keep you silent and active in places that you can do good work, which is why I'm saying I know I have purpose. Um, Comparison negatively impacts identity and doing good works roots identity. One of our drummers was sitting on the front row this morning and I said, Eli, I said, I... You know, if I compare my good works to you, I can't play the drums. And I said, well, actually, I can. I can play the drums. I mean, it looks pretty easy. You just take a couple of sticks and you hit the things in front of you. The, the problem is I can't do it in rhythm that actually enhances anything that we would be listening and singing to. But if I sit and compare my good works to Eli's good works, I'm going to feel less than, especially in Nashville, right? <laughs> so it's comparison ends up robbing us while just going ahead and doing the thing that is presented in front of me to do, that roots identity. Pablo Picasso um, had this to say. The meaning of life is to find your gift. The purpose of life is to give it away. And before you get too attached to that, because that's right on, isn't it? Pablo Picasso was an avowed atheist. I mean... To say that he had zero connection to God would be an over, un, overstatement because an atheist doesn't believe God exists. And yet somehow he's acknowledging that woven inside of his DNA is to find a gift and give it away. Interesting, very telling. So let me repeat this before I give you the last cap on this one. Don't think what is my purpose in life. Think what are God's purposes for my life. So I matter not because it's me, I matter because I'm known and loved by God, okay? And two, God created me on purpose. You weren't an accident. God created me on purpose with real purpose already built in. Already weaving it together. All right, here's the third one. I belong. I belong. Before Christ, we were outsiders. After Christ, we're insiders, um, a loner is someone that's gotten burned by the rejection of insiders. Um, there is something innate in us that we want to belong. And when we're rebuffed, in most cases, we retreat, or then there's the other side of it, there's an acting out that happens because we want to belong and we feel that we've been excluded from whatever it is that we want to belong to. Um, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever, whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. He, he's not, God is not out to recruit a team. He's out to love more people into his family. And everyone is welcome into that family. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, 20 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, I've been in this family, the new creation has come. I am not the same person. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ 
Now, this is a compare. I'm, I'm going to link. I, I have a purpose to I belong. He says, and gave us, us, the ministry of reconciliation. So on the, on the front end, us, then we belong, right? Okay? And he's given us this ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to who? It's one syllable. Good. Us, the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Okay? This is inclusive, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. I just broke it down like this. If anyone's in Christ, this is a statement that we have a joint source. So we belong to this source. Gave us the ministry is a joint calling. We have this calling together. Committed to us is a statement of trust. He trusts us. I read somewhere recently, I'm reading a number of books focusing on discipleship. And on this particular case, the person made the case that making disciples was Jesus' plan A. And there was no plan B. Each of us being changed and transformed, being engaged with people that need to be transformed. I'm transformed little by little. And if we're going to be engaged with one another and you're going to walk with me and I'm going to walk with you, we're going to be transformed together. Right? It's just like, that's going to how it works. And so, and then he ends, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. That's a, that's a joint missional statement. We're together in that. Here's, here's 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work, purpose, and speak out for him, telling others of the night and day difference he made for you, from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. I mean, that is forceful. I was nothing until Christ. Nothing. Nothing's generally want to hide in a corner until someone tells them they are something. And then something releases inside of you. Paul is owning, I was nothing. And, and it's, it's actually quite revelatory because Paul actually was something. He actually was something. But, but in light of who he was now in Christ and the purpose he was living in Christ and being known and loved by Christ, he looked at his old life that really was a big deal life. I mean, he was an up-and-comer. He was Forbes top 40 under 40. You know, I mean, this, this guy had it working. And he looks and says, he literally calls it, depending on which translation, there are some words in the, yeah, they're in the Bible that I won't use in front of you because they'll be offensive. But he, he'll, well, I can use this one. He says, I count them as dung, refuge, stuff that you want to, scrape off the bottom of your foot and you don't want that smell following you around. So that's what I used to be. But now I'm accepted. Now I am something. So I matter because I am known and loved by God. 
I have a purpose. I was made on purpose and purpose is built in. Here's this last one. I belong to Christ, the family of God and the family business. You belong to Christ. You are a part of a family of Christ. This is what the church is. I mean, I grew up, I grew up and, uh, and this was so ingrained. It was ingrained in the language of church people that we called each other brother and sister. It's really, it's really sounds pretty silly. Um, cause we didn't, nobody says calls their brother and sister, brother and sister, right? When you're talking to them, but we would call each other brother and sister to, 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 Re-emphasize the fact that we are a family of God. And it, it, it's harder and harder to do, right? Because, because we're in and out culture. We're in and out culture. We're, we're a consuming culture, right? So let's get what we need to get and let's move on. And that's, that's fine. I mean, I would hope that you come in and you get the word and it's strong word and get worship and strong worship. Um, but that's a buffet, right? And Interesting enough, I have not found the best nutritious food at buffets. And I have seen my share. Right? So, so the, the beauty of the body of Christ is, is what we do when, when we're with one another. Right? Because we shape one another in our good and our bad and our, and our ugly and our pretty um, and our broken and our put together. It, they're just, it just, I can't explain it just works. It's a settling, anchoring thing to be a part of a family of God. All right? And so just like your family, there are plenty of times in our family where I want to look at one of you and just say, that was stupid. I really do, right? The, the interpersonal stuff that happens time to time and you just want to shake someone and say, stupid. Okay? Stop it. And then there are a whole bunch of times you want to give high fives and say, man, I was great. I walked out of the second service, first service, and someone had spilled a communion cup out there, and a, a child did. And you were there in the floor helping her clean it up. And it wasn't your daughter that dropped it. High five, right? Not because you picked up something that was on the ground, because you, were, you cared that much about a child trying to clean it up and all this traffic going in and out of this room. I'm a big sports um, movie guy. I like, I like sports movies. Some of them are, re- are not really that good. Um, some of them are really, really great. Um, um, the 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey, hockey team stories told through a movie called uh, Miracle. And, um, and uh, Coach Herb Brooks took a bunch of college kids, literally, and um, not even the best college kids at their schools, and put them together, and they made a strong run through the 1980 Olympics. And... Um, but in their warm-ups, they were playing in Europe ahead of the Olympics, and they got a little full of themselves. And um, they, were, they were discussing girls they saw in the crowd uh, between periods. And um, I even think they still won, but Coach Brooks, after the, after the game, wore them out. Put them on a the line. They played three periods, 20-minute hockey periods. They played three. He gets them on the line, and they skated up and down that ice rink until they threw up. They were throwing up. And the team doctor's trying to get him to stop, and the assistant coach is trying to get him to stop, and Brooks, man, he is blistering them. And when they couldn't go anymore, he stood in front of them and said, guys, the name on the front of your jersey is more important than the name on the back of your jersey. Their 
personal name and the country they represented. So Coach Brooks, no comparison. We carry, we're Christian. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. And it doesn't matter that I fail. What matters is I'm a Christ follower. My failure doesn't define what it says here. Anything you know about the name on the back of my shirt pales in comparison to anything I can show you on the front of my shirt. This is what we belong to. This is what we get to be a part of. It's not just a belief structure. We're not just changing. Christianity is not a behavioral modification system. Christ didn't die so we would be better people. He didn't die so we'd be nicer people. He died that we would be living people, changed people, transformed people, carrying this missional message. But if the enemy can get you to believe you don't matter, you don't have a purpose. You're just wandering around. You don't belong. You're, a, you're an oddball. You're an, uh, uh, an outsider. Boy, he will keep you sitting on that bench. And it will be difficult for you to land on that purpose. So look, here's how I'm going to end today. And I was this bold at the nine, so you got to get it. You got to get it at 11. If you're in the room right now and you have been struggling with you matter. I want you to stand up. This is your struggle right now, that I matter. Anybody in the room? See, it always takes just one person. How about, Pastor, I struggle with purpose. I don't feel like I have a purpose. Stand up. I don't feel like I have a purpose. Pastor, I don't feel like I belong. Stand up. I don't feel like I belong. gave me a very specific word at this time at the 11 o'clock service where what I believe he was saying to me to say to you was you're seen everyone look at me y'all look at me you're seen you're known you're loved and wherever these places are. They might just, it might just been a cycle you've been in the last week, but it might be a cycle that you've been in for a long time. Ground into the scripture read today. This is not a self-help message. You know me better than that. The Bible is the quintessential, you can't help yourself. But, but guys, there is so much. There's so much that God knows and has wired into you. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you all to stand. Communion's available on my left and my right. If you want to come and pray today,
you want to pray here, this side of the altar, if you're a guest, that you can pray by yourself over here. If you want someone to join and pray with you, people will be ready to pray here. Um, You're stood. If you want someone to pray directly with you, we're going to do that right here. I'm going to pray over you and everyone right now before we move. Father, I thank you for the men and women who responded today to your call. They were identifying real feelings. But Lord, we know that those feelings, although they feel real, they are not the expression of truth. That not one of those who stood or even was too afraid to stand has gone unnoticed in your kingdom. And you have purpose and a family for them to lock into. Father, help us be in totality. Let Help us be at Gateway a family. We're not going to all know one another, but we can know the person, the next person. We can't help everybody, but we can help the person that you put in front of us to help. Father, I pray that week in and week out, Lord, this would be a place where people are known. And Lord, now, whatever has been rippling in the lives of the people in the congregation today, Lord, as they lift that up and express that to you today, Lord, I have complete confidence that you'll respond by your spirit in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I invite you to move communion to the altar. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today.